Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you're new here, let me introduce myself. My name is Thomas Fisher, and I'm the associate pastor here at Redemption St. Thomas, and also an elder intern. I'm in the midst of six months of a trial run, if you will, with the elders where we're discerning together whether God is calling me to join the shepherds of this church. And I start with that because I'm kind of here on behalf of the elders to preach a bit of an unusual sermon. This morning, we're going to take a break from our series through the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to talk about something that I don't think I've ever heard an entire sermon about, church membership. We're going to talk about church membership. Now, please don't make a stampede for the doors. This is not that kind of thing. There's no one passing out forms. There's no one making you write something down. We're not asking for a drop of blood before you go. This is a safe place. But we're going to talk about church membership this morning, and if you've been around for a while, it's probably not a surprise. You may remember that last year the elders came out with a position paper explaining where in Scripture we kind of came to this idea that we ought to institute church membership among us. And then this past fall, Pastor Jake came up and shared for about maybe 10 minutes or so about church membership and why we as elders are prioritizing it. And behind the scenes, we've been meeting with ministry leaders. We've kind of been explaining that going forward, we'd like all of the people who lead in our ministries to be members of our church, and we've been encouraging them towards that and trying to answer their questions and feel their concerns where they have them. But we feel that there's more that we can say. We feel that we haven't quite communicated as well as we could have. And so this morning, we just wanted to take one Sunday where we lay out before you the biblical principles and the practical benefits that have led us to decide that church membership would be a blessing here at Redemption Bible Chapel St. Thomas. Now, because this is kind of an unusual sermon, there are a couple of caveats that I want to start us off with, and then a little bit of information about what this morning's going to look like. Here are the two caveats to start us with. We want it to be clear that we see membership as an in-house issue, not an in-out issue. In Christianity, there are certain things that are in-out issues. That is, if you don't agree with this, we're not even sure you're in the faith. So if someone were to come up to me and say, hey, I actually don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that's an in-out issue. That's not something Christians can lovingly disagree on. That's something that defines what it means to be a Christian in the first place. On the other hand, we believe that there are certain things that are in-house issues that within the family of faith, good, God-honoring brothers and sisters can disagree on without one having to look at the other and say, are you really a Christian then? We see membership firmly in this category. And so we don't intend today to say the Bible says that you must do membership at your church and all other churches are doing it wrong and dishonoring the Lord. Rather, what we intend to say is that to our understanding, church membership is a best practice based on biblical principles. That as we survey the scriptures and we see certain principles there, and when we think of how we can live them out, this is the best way we've come up with, but we are open to being shown a better way. And actually, that's the second caveat. We want to just publicly say we are open to being corrected, to having our view of this improved. In other words, we are reserving the right this morning to be well-intended, but wrong. I think we always reserve that right. Is that, is that fair, Jake? Yeah. But especially this morning. Listen, listen. We love you guys. And we love our Lord. And we are convinced that church membership is best for your good and his glory. But if we're wrong, we want to be the sort of men who would rather put aside our preference and our opinions to do what God wants than to hang on to it so we can have things our way. 
So just as we start, we want you to know, if we're wrong, we would love to discover that and to, to apologize for it and to lead in the way that God does want. But at the moment, this is our conviction. It has been for some time now, and we want to speak to you about it. So with all of that in mind, here's what this morning's going to look like. First of all, it's going to be more teaching than preaching. Because this is an in-house issue, we don't see it as our place to come and say, this is what the Bible says, and you must act now. Rather, our intention is to share with you the biblical principles and the, that we see in Scripture and some of the practical benefits that we're imagining for church membership and to lay them before you for your consideration, encouraging you to join us if you see in them wisdom and something that will honor the Lord. We see this as the first step in a conversation, or sorry, I shouldn't say the first step, as the next step in a conversation about church membership and what's best for this church, and so we want to kind of have that tone even as we share. And on that note, after the service, you'll find many, if not all, of our elders here at the front. We've agreed to kind of come up and to field your questions and your concerns about church membership. What we'd love to do is, is hear you out, listen to you, and then if we think we can respond, if we have an answer to your question or something to assuage your concern that we can share with you, we'll do that. Or we may say, you know what, that's a great question. That's a great concern. Would you let us as elders discuss that together and then get back to you at a later date? We want to show you that this is a conversation we're happy to have. And so would you please, at the end, if you have questions or concerns, come and speak to us. And on that note, there's one other way you can share questions and concerns with us. Anytime during this sermon, you can head to rbcsaintthomas.ca membership. And what you'll find there is a really, really brief little survey that you can fill out. And all it really is is a spot for you to ask your questions and comments this morning. If you have something on your mind that you've wondered about membership for some time or you have a concern that's not addressed in what you hear, we would love for you to hop on that link and to let us know. And at the end of the service, I intend to come back up here and briefly answer a handful of those questions. Uh, one of our elders, Bernard DeVries, is at the back kind of sifting through what comes out into two categories, things we can respond to this morning and things we'll need to discuss and pray about and then get back to you on. But we're doing this because we really do want to have a conversation with you. We really do want this to feel like something where we're listening to you and not just telling you what you must do. So please take us up on it. Please submit questions. Please share your concerns. Please come talk to us at the front. And please entertain what we're going to see in God's word this morning. All right, that's more than enough preamble. Let's pray together before we get into God's word. Father, you, you know uh, our hearts as elders. You know that our desire is first and foremost to represent you right. And Lord, we realize that this is an issue where good people who love you, want to honor you, disagree. And so I want to pray right now that as I speak, that you would give me the grace that I would rather have a weak argument but rightly handle your word than have a strong argument but have to twist your word to do it. Father, we are not here for the opinions of men. We're here to better understand you and what you've revealed about yourself and your church to us. And so we pray as we turn to your word now that you would speak and that you would help each of us not only to listen with open ears and hearts, but also to listen in a discerning way, to understand and sift out what's just coming from, from humans and what your spirit is trying to say to the church. We ask for your help because we need it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please, if you have your Bible with you, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 is where we're going to start this morning. And as you turn there, let me give you just a working definition, not perfect, but a working definition of church membership that 
you can jot down and kind of refer to so you know what I have in mind when I talk about it. This morning, I'm defining church membership as a public declaration of a person's inclusion in and commitment to a local church and the protection, direction, and correction of its leadership. That's a basic definition of church membership. It's, it's a person's declaration of their inclusion in, that they're part of this thing, and that they're committed to a local church and the protection, direction, and correction of its leadership. Keep that in mind as we go through a few passages in God's word that lay out some biblical principles for church membership. We're gonna see two such principles this morning. That's gonna be our focus that make us convinced that church membership is a best practice. And the first one is this. God's word calls us as Christians to make a clear connection between sheep and their shepherds. God's word calls us as Christians to make a clear connection between sheep and their shepherds. And just in case you're not familiar with that kind of biblical imagery, passages like 1 Peter 5 and other parts of the New Testament describe God's church in the terms of sheep and shepherds. You see, you have the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, And under his authority, accountable to him, are the shepherds of the church, which we would call elders here at Redemption St. Thomas. And then under the authority of the elders, you have the sheep, the the people of the church. And so you have this biblical image that's meant to say, hey, there should be a loving, caring relationship between shepherds and their sheep. Good shepherds take good care of their sheep. And so when I say that God's word calls us to make a clear connection between sheep and their shepherds, that's what I'm referring to, that kind of care relationship and having kind of a defined, identifiable sense of it. So let's see this first biblical principle in Hebrews 13. It'll be in verse 17, and then I'll explain what it has to do with membership. God's word says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. In that first sentence, we find the clear connection between sheep and shepherds. It comes in two halves, like two sides of the same coin. First, that phrase, obey your leaders and submit to them. In that phrase, we see that sheep should be able to identify their shepherds follow my logic here, if, if God's word is going to say, hey, you should obey and submit to your leaders, it's assuming and expecting that the people of the church know who their leaders are. The command falls apart if there isn't some sort of defined relationship where the people of the church know who's in authority over them and, and who is not. These commands depend on people in the local church being able to kind of point and say, those are my spiritual leaders. And so we see that strongly implied in this text that churches should make a clear connection between their sheep and shepherds because sheep are expected, even assumed in this text, to know who those leaders are that they are to obey and submit to. But we also in this verse see the second half, the other side of the coin in the very next phrase. Look again at the verse, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. You see, in this verse, we see that God has entrusted the care of sheep to a certain set of shepherd-servant leaders. And the implication of this text for anyone reading it, if you're a shepherd, oh, I'm keeping watch over people's souls, it's like, oh, there's an implicit command in there. 
I should be doing that. I should be caring for people. And as one of those shepherd servant leaders here at this church, you better believe that I would like to know who it is that the Lord wants me to care for. Because as you notice at the end of the sentence, I'm going to have to give an account to him. We are going to have to stand before Almighty God. In fact, I was thinking about this as I prepared. I mean, I get, I get that it's a little nerve-wracking to think, man, you really want me to like obey and submit to like imperfect men? Honestly, I'm way more terrified that imperfect men like me are gonna have to answer before a holy God for how we've taken care of people. That is something that makes me tremble. And so we see on both sides of this coin that there's to be a clear connection between sheep and their shepherds. That sheep are to know who their shepherds are, to be able to say, those are my spiritual leaders. And that shepherds are supposed to be able to look at their sheep and say, these are the people that God's entrusted to me. Now just to be clear, this connection isn't just found in this verse. When possible, as we're building our theology, our understanding of God, we try to find things that show up and say the same thing in multiple spots in God's word. And so while we don't have time to turn there today, let me just show you two other glimpses of spots where we see this kind of clear connection between sheep and shepherds show up in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul calls the elders of the church at Ephesus to come to him, and he charges them with these words. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. In other words, there are people that the Holy Spirit himself has said you are responsible for, a clear connection between the sheep and their shepherds. In 1 Peter 5, God's word instructs elders to, quote, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight over those in your charge. Elders have been given a charge, a responsibility, not to do whatever they want, but to care for a group of people. And this text reinforces that. It goes on later to command the younger members of the church also to be subject to the elders. Once again, implying that they know who these people are, that there's a defined relationship between the two of them. Here's the bottom line. Multiple times in the New Testament, God's word makes it clear that we should be able to make a clear connection between sheep and their shepherds. And we see church membership as a really helpful tool in doing that, in making that connection. You see, as a declaration of commitment to a church's leadership, church membership is a way for someone to say, hey, hey, I'm a sheep, and those are my shepherds. Those are the spiritual leaders I'm trusting. And as a declaration of a person's inclusion in a local church, church membership is a way for shepherds to say, God, we are responsible for those people. That's who we're taking care of. And between the two, we come to this kind of two-way street of mutual commitment, the shepherds to care for the sheep, the sheep to submit to the shepherds. And we believe that this is a great way to live out the biblical principles that we see in Hebrews 13 and in Acts 20 and in 1 Peter 5. Now again, we are not, not, not saying that this is the only way this can be done. We're not claiming that every church must do it. What we're saying is we, for our understanding, this is the best way we can figure out to do this, to live out the biblical principle of a clear connection, a defined relationship between sheep and their shepherd that we see in the New Testament. But as I mentioned earlier, there's a second biblical principle that also underlies our desire to move towards formal church membership here, and it's this. God's word calls us to make a clear distinction 
between the repentant and the resistant. God's word calls us to make a clear distinction between the repentant and the resistant. Now, I realize that's charged, maybe even provocative language, but stick with me for a second. Let me show you where I'm getting this from in God's word, and then we'll kind of tie it back into membership in a moment. In the fifth chapter of his letter to the Corinthians, Paul responds to a disturbing report that there's a man in the Corinthian church who has been sleeping with his father's wife. And his instructions to the church are to make a clear distinction between this man and the rest of the church, everyone else. See it for yourself in the opening verses of chapter five that are on the screen. Paul writes, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not even tolerated among pagans for a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. That's where we see this biblical principle of distinguishing between the repentant and the resistant. Because in his response to this person's sin, Paul writes that this man should be removed from among you. What's more, Paul actually doubles down on this a few verses later in 1 Corinthians 5.11, where he tells the Corinthians, and by extension us, not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or as an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now I wanna acknowledge that this verse has been kind of infamously abused in the church, and some of you may have been affected by it. And I'm afraid this morning we don't have time to get kind of into the weeds of how it should and shouldn't be used. But what I'm hoping is that this morning we can at least agree that at a minimum, Paul is saying that in a situation where someone's claiming to be a Christ follower and is living in unrepentant, ongoing sin despite the church's attempts to call them back, the church should consider whether they might be able to get their attention and restore them by making a distinction between them and that person. I think that's safe to say at least of this text. Now to be clear, we view this kind of discipline, this kind of distinction, as with all church discipline, as aimed at repentance and reconciliation and restoration. As the Lord disciplines the son he loves, any time that the elders do have to engage in discipline, the idea is for that person's good, not to get rid of them, but to bring them back in. In fact, we see that even in this passage. Paul says in verse five of this same text that the goal of removing this man is that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Paul's goal isn't just to get rid of him and say, off you go. Paul's Hope is that by doing this, he actually might be restored and that his soul might be saved. So then we see in this passage, I think, this, that God has given to his church as a tool the ability to make a distinction between the repentant and the resistant in the hopes that such a distinction, when things get that bad, could get that person's attention and bring them back to Christ. But if you've been listening carefully, I'm sure you have, you've probably noticed that I'm talking about resistant and repentant, but those words don't actually show up in the text. So where am I getting that idea from? I think you've heard Jake say before that we believe in in bold preaching here, and part of what we mean by that is we just say what God's word says. Our intent's not to add anything to it, we don't believe God needs that. 
Our intent's certainly not to subtract anything from it because we believe we all suffer when we cut out parts of God's word. So then why am I saying that, that God's word wants us to make a clear distinction between the repentant and the resistant? Well, I believe it's actually strongly implied in these verses. And I think it's even clearer elsewhere. Let me show you what I mean. In verse 11, we read already that Paul tells us not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Here's the thing. If that's talking about one-time sins, all of us, including the elders, should be strangers. Right? Anyone willing to say, like, I've never done any of those things since I started following Jesus? There's not a person in this room, in this world, in the church universal, who can say that they've never in their life following Jesus stumbled into sexual immorality or greed or idolatry or drunkenness or any of the other things that Paul's referring to here. So if that were the point of the verse, it would be time for us, not just us today, but the Corinthians as well, to just disband and go home. But Paul has 11 more chapters in this letter where he's going to tell the Corinthians how to be the church. And so he's clearly not thinking it's a one-time deal and you've all got to go away. Rather, I think it's safe to assume here that what Paul's describing are people who are claiming to be brothers and sisters in Christ, but are living in prolonged, unrepentant sin that's starting to call into question that confession. That's where I get the idea of a distinction between the repentant and the resistant from. Every Christian struggles with sin. That's nothing new. But I believe that God's word is saying here that we, the church, are to make a distinction between repentant, although flawed people who are trying to follow Jesus and someone who is going so far off the rails in their resistance that we're worried they don't even know Jesus. Now, this idea of repentant versus resistant is even more clear in Matthew 18 where Jesus tells us how to approach a brother or a sister who has sinned against us if our first attempts at repentance and reconciliation don't work. He tells us, as you probably remember, first to go to them individually, and second to go with them to a handful of witnesses. But then he says this, if they won't listen to you with your witnesses, tell it to the church. And if he refuses, and that person refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This is where we're getting this sense of a clear distinction between the repentant and the resistant from. Jesus says, hey, if, if he doesn't even listen to the church, you've, you've talked to him and you've gone to the next step with witnesses and this person just continues to resist your attempts to bring them to their senses, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, as an outsider, as someone you don't associate with. Now again, at every point along the way, the hope of the church is that that person would, would repent and be restored and reconciled and brought near to Jesus for their good and the good of the church and the good of the gospel. But texts like this make clear that at a certain point, a church may have to say, hey, listen, we would just love for you to be restored and to repent of this ongoing sin. And we've tried everything we can think of to to help you come to your senses, and nothing is working. We're out of options, so we've got one final thing we can try. We're gonna now make a distinction between you and the church. And our hope, our hope, it breaks our heart to do it, but our hope is that this will be the, the warning, the alarm that goes off and says, what is going on in my life so that you would repent and come back to Christ? We want you here. 
But for the good of your soul, we feel we need to make this distinction. That's the sense we get from these texts. And of course, this is something we pray will never need to happen at any church ever. But we also believe that God's word is clear that should someone fall into such a disturbing pattern of ongoing unrepentant sin that that they're at jeopardy of shipwrecking their faith, this is a last-ditch effort that the church can make to get their attention and bring them back towards Jesus. And when we think about how we might live this out, our thoughts turn towards membership. We see membership as a way when we must to make a distinction between flawed but repentant people like all of us and people who are stuck in sin and resistant to the help of the church and the grace of God. By asking people to become members, we kind of give ourselves one final card to play in a situation where someone is going so far away from Christ that we're worried about their faith. It's a card we hope to never play. But, but hear this, we would rather have that card and never need to use it than need that card and only wish we had it. If this is what it comes to, to bring someone back into the faith, that's what we want to be ready. We hope we never get in that situation, but I hope you can understand that if we ever did, that if you or someone you know or love ever got so far from Jesus that we were worried about your salvation itself, that in that situation, you wouldn't want us to have one final way to say to that person, hey, we hate to do this, but you are so far from Christ right now that we need to distinguish the repentant from the resistant. And we would beg you to repent and join the rest of the repentant church. That's the second biblical principle that underlies our desire for membership, a way to call people back to the faith by making a distinction between the repentant and the resistant. Now we also, as I mentioned at the beginning, have a few practical benefits we see in membership. But first, let me just kind of recapitulate those two biblical principles. First, we see in God's word that we're called to make a clear connection between sheep and their shepherd. We believe that church membership is a way for, for people to say, hey, those are my spiritual leaders, and for spiritual leaders to say, those are the people that I'm caring for. I'm gonna give my life for these sheep. Second, we believe that God's word calls us to make a clear distinction between the repentant and the resistant. And so we believe membership is, is the best way we can think of to have that card to play where someone's so far off the rails that we're worried about their faith altogether, we can say, hey, we love you, but the way you're behaving, we have questions, and we kind of draw a line in the sand in the hopes that you'll come back over it to us. Now, let me just encourage you. We've, we've gone into these texts. We, we could go deeper. We just don't have time this morning. So on your own time, we would love for you to dig in and look for yourself. Go to Hebrews 13. Go to Acts chapter 20. Go to Matthew 18 and 1 Peter 5 and 1 Corinthians 5 and, and dig in. And, and our hope is that that study would further reinforce what we're saying today, that, that church membership is a best practice based on biblical principles. Now, we also said that there are some practical benefits we see in church membership, and, and my hope is we don't have time to get deep into each of them, but I'm hoping that you can see as we go through them how they connect to the biblical principles that we've been talking about this morning and, and God's word as a whole. So let me share with you three practical benefits that we believe church membership can bless this church with. Here's the first one. Membership helps us as elders care and lead well. 
Membership helps us as elders care and lead well. Here's where I want to start on this one. I want you to know, on behalf of the elders, that we feel the weight of our responsibility. It's a tremendous task beyond ourselves to care for you, especially in light of texts like Hebrews 13 that tells us that we're keeping watch over people's souls. And 1 Peter 5 that tells us we're shepherding the flock of God and that we'll be held to account. And what's even more intimidating is that we're very aware of our limitations as fallen men. Redeemed, saved, but still battling sin. We're limited by our finite minds, our finite time and energy. We're distracted and affected by the remnants of sin that live in us, even as God is sanctifying that part of us away. And so, in addition to crying out to God to give us the grace and the wisdom we need to be the sort of men that that would really be best for the church, we're also wondering, and convinced, I should say, that church membership is one tool we can use to help us understand who is it that we're supposed to be caring for. We only have so much time and energy. Who do we give it to? Truthfully, we would love to have time and energy and, and intellect to fully help every person who so much as crosses through this church's doors. But the reality is that we don't. There's five of us, and if you joined elder meetings for a while, it wouldn't be very long until you kind of heard us comment on how much there is to do, how, much, how many people there are to care for, and how limited our resources of time and energy are. And so we see church membership as one way to help us understand who we should be giving the lion's share of our limited time and energy to. If you're a parent, or if you've ever known a parent, I guess everyone's known a parent, then you probably can see how this works. Parents have a God-given responsibility to care first for their children, right? Many of you are, are loving people who love not only your kids, but the kids of your family and your friends and just people that you meet all over the place. But by the same token, as much as you would like to help everyone, you understand that if you have, when push comes to shove and your resources are limited, if you have to make a choice between caring for your kids and caring for someone else's kids, your God-given job is to care for yours. If you're going on vacation somewhere, having a family day, the influence of your kids and what they would like far outweighs what someone else's kids want your family to do because you're responsible for your family first. Doesn't mean you don't care and help others, but it means you start here. And if we can bring that illustration over into the church, if the church is a family and God's word describes it as such, we as elders are in some way, shape, and form the fathers of this family. And it's our job to take good care of the people of this church as shepherds take care of their sheep. And one thing that membership can help us do is understand who are those sheep? Who is it that we should be in the lion's share of our time and attention and effort to? Because we only have so much. Whose opinions should we be most heavily weighting when we have to make a decision with the direction of the church? We'd love to listen to everybody. We'd love to come and visit with everybody and pray with everybody. There's five of us and 400 of you, and it just isn't going to work. And so we want a way to understand, okay, Lord, you've given us people to care for. Which ones are they? And we're not saying that membership is the only way to figure out if someone's supposed to be cared for us or not. And we're certainly not saying that non-members aren't going to get any care from the elders. But what we are saying is we want to know who God's holding us most accountable for. And membership is one way to help us start to figure that out so we can care as well as we possibly can. So 
we would encourage you to consider membership as one way to say, hey, hey, I am part of this church. I am, I am committed to this family, and so I'm someone that you, when you're thinking of care, should be thinking of. I'm someone when you're thinking of direction should be getting opinions from and, and hearing and thinking about how it affects. We would love to kind of have that sense so we can care and lead better. We're gonna stand before God one day and answer for how well we've watched over souls and we want as much information about who those souls are as we can. Here's a second practical benefit. Membership helps us guard who gets to represent Jesus. Membership helps us guard who gets to represent Jesus. Now that sounds a little like, we're not saying we get to pick who's a Christian or not. That's not what membership means. But let's start here. I think we can all agree that who gets to represent Jesus is a big deal. I mean, you know, you have that friend, you have that family member who claims to be following Jesus, but when you have that person you want the gospel shared with, that's not the person you want to share the gospel with them. Right? You've got that person who, who claims to be following Jesus, but you know the way they live their life and their, the issues in their theology just don't make them a suitable ambassador. We know that, that God's gospel that tells us about, through Jesus' death, the opportunity for us to have our sins forgiven and to be friends with God and to have our lives radically transformed, we understand that that message can be either respected and honored by the conduct of someone or totally dragged through the mud. And so we take that seriously. We take seriously who gets to represent Jesus. And when it comes to our church, we take seriously who gets to represent Jesus as a person of influence or authority, either within our church or as an ambassador from our church to our community. We want to make sure that everybody who we say, hey, they're an influence for Jesus, actually is. That's what it boils down to. And as the church has doubled in size over the last year or so, it's crazy to say it out loud, isn't it? It's becoming harder and harder and harder to kind of personally get to know and vet and assess the people who would represent Jesus to the rest of us and to our community. And so we see membership as an objective, scalable process that can help us do this sort of verifying and vetting. Hear this. Hear where the rubber hits the road. We care deeply about the influence that the people we put in positions of authority, like kids ministry leaders and small group leaders and leaders in all other sorts of ministry, we care deeply about the influence that they have on you. And we wanna make sure if we're gonna say you can trust this person to lead you to Jesus, that we've done our due diligence. And we see membership as one way to make sure that when we put you in that position where someone's gonna influence you or have authority over you, that we can have confidence before the Lord that we've put you in a safe place where you're truly gonna see Jesus represented. In a sense, the membership process, as we see, is a little bit like a verification badge on social media. Right? If you hop onto Instagram and you see that check mark beside someone's profile, you know that that account is verified, that that, that account actually is representing the person it claims to be representing. Right? It's not someone pretending to be that. There's enough of those accounts on social media. It's actually that person. And we see church membership working a little bit the same way, that in the process, we verify. You say you're representing Jesus. Do, do we agree? Do we feel comfortable putting you in charge of kids and telling them about Jesus? Do we feel comfortable having you influence a small group or a men's group or a women's group or any other ministry? We want to make sure we're taking this responsibility seriously because there's nothing more important than your relationship with God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to have at least some checks and balances on who we're letting influence people's faith. We think that's important. 
And we think membership, with its process of having people read our statement of faith and share their testimony with us and have a sit, having a sit-down conversation with an elder is one way that we can make sure that anyone we're letting influence you or represent us to people who don't know Jesus yet is actually going to influence people towards Jesus himself. Here's the third practical benefit. Membership helps us as elders have the courage to correct. Membership helps us as elders have the courage to correct. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. We're not worried about the double honor thing this morning, but I wanted to bring up that phrase, rule well. You know, rule well, lead well, serve well, call it what you will. As your elders, we want to care for you well. And as I've already said, that's a difficult thing at times for us because we're limited men. And we see church membership as helping us rule well, specifically in the correction area of protection, direction, and correction. Let me ask it this way. Who are the people in your life who you're most willing, most likely to lovingly confront and correct when they need it? If you're anything like me, the answer is the people who I know are already most committed to me, where I'm least likely to lose the relationship. Right? If, if you've dated someone and got married to them, you've probably been through this. You get married, you date someone, and you go on a few dates, and they've got a few quirks, and, and you know, you've got puppy dog eyes, and all oh, those aren't such a big deal, and whatever, you kind of overlook things. Then you get engaged to that person, and you're like, huh, I'm noticing that more now. Maybe we should talk about that gently one day. And then you get married to them, and I'm like, not only are they stuck with me, but I'm stuck with them. We are having a conversation, right? You know what I'm talking about. And you work these things out, and part of the reason you do it then is because like, they're, they're trapped. <laughs> I just, I saw a couple elbows. That was not a time for an elbow. That was a bad idea. <laughs> Right? They're, they're, they're stuck with you, and you're like, you know what? We're going to have this because you can't go anywhere. And you're poor kids if you have them. They don't even get a choice. For 16, 18 years, mom and dad are coming. Hey, what about this? We got to work on that. I want to help you. And it's all in love, hopefully. But we are most likely to correct those we know are committed to us. And honestly, that's no different for us as elders. Listen, we would love to stand here and say we are such men that no matter what level of commitment someone has to the church, we will go and lovingly confront them when and if we need to. But the truth is, we are subject to fear and temptation and selfishness just like anybody else. We didn't become special men when we became elders. We aren't elders because we're special men. We struggle with these things like everybody else in this room. And so while we keep working through those fears and fighting those temptations and that selfishness, we see membership as one way that you can help us help you. It's one way you can say, hey, if you have something you need to correct, if I'm going off the rails, I'm showing you by membership that, that I'm committed here, that that will be well received, that I'm trusting you to come and correct me. And so the, the, the real payoff isn't to make it easier for us to correct, but the real payoff is that if you're going sideways, I would hope you would want to be corrected. And by saying, hey, I'm committed, I'm in here, it's one way to help us get over that fear and go have that conversation for your good and God's glory. Done gently, patiently, lovingly, but at least done as opposed to not done. That's the third benefit. And so this is our case for membership that we wanted to lay before you this morning. We see church membership as a best practice based on biblical principles because it helps us make a clear connection between sheep and their shepherds. 
It helps us make a clear distinction, as we see in God's word, between the resistant and the repentant. It helps us care and lead well by informing us about who we're caring for and leading. It helps us guard who gets to represent Jesus by having a certain standard, not a super high, you have to be perfect, but a reasonable standard of who we're gonna put in positions of authority and influence over you and your children and in our community. And it helps us have the courage to correct and love when necessary. Now, before we close, I just want to respond to a couple of objections or, or questions that we're anticipating. If you haven't yet, we'd love for you to go to rbcstthomas.ca slash membership and, and share your question or concern. I've said most of what I'm going to say this morning. But in the meantime, there are two things that we can see people asking or raising, and we want to talk about them right now. Here's, here's the first one. Becoming a member is too much of a hassle. Like, it's too much hoop jumping. I want you to know this. If you feel that way, you are not even close to the first person to have that opinion. We've heard that several, several times. But I also want you to know that as elders, we have done our best to make the membership process as streamlined and efficient as possible without stripping it of its strength and purpose. If I can use a bit of an illustration, the membership process basically boils down to two dates where we get to know one another and see if we're a good match. On the first date, we take you out for lunch in our gym, which sounds really romantic. And we, sorry, we'll get some like drapes or something one day. And we tell you about ourselves at a class that we call Redemption 101. And I love, Jake said this before, we want to tell you lots about ourselves because this is not about convincing you to join us. This is about helping you discern whether that's a good idea or not. And so Jake leads with lots of information because we're not here to like build a big church. We're here to understand who God wants to be part of this family. And so you come to Redemption 101. And then after that, if you're still interested in pursuing this, you let us know you want a second date by filling out a membership application. And once we get that, we set up a time to sit down and chat with you, and together we just have a conversation about whether we're a good fit for one another, and that's it. I mean, you, we welcome you into membership, but you'd probably already be at church anyway, so that's not much work. It really just boils down to almost two dates, two different things that you do to become a member here. And my hope is that in light of the biblical principles we've unpacked, and the practical benefits that I've shared this morning, that you can see, you know what? That's worth it. It's worth it to go through that to help the church in these ways and help my own soul in these ways. And honestly, we're not sure what else we could take out to make it any more straightforward or streamlined. And so we've done our best to not make any obstacles to membership that don't need to be there. Here's a second objection. I struggle to trust you guys. I struggle to trust you. Here's what I want to say to that. Fair enough. Fair enough. You're not going to meet a single elder who thinks we've got it all together. We understand that we are imperfect men, that we have a long ways to go, that we fall short and are constantly in need of grace and forgiveness. We're not the examples to the flock that God's word calls us to be as often as we'd like to be. And we also know that some of you are coming out of church backgrounds where you've been hurt by leadership. And so it's even harder to trust because of that. And we want you to understand, hey, if that's your situation, we grieve for you. We're sorry that happened to you. And we understand that rebuilding trust takes time. But we do want to say this. We do want you to know that we are trying and striving to be the sort of men you can trust. That is our desire. And our hope is that over time you will see that. But in the meantime, would you please do two things? If you're in this boat, would you please come talk to us? 
We want to know where we're falling short. We want to know where it is that we could grow as elders or what it is that's keeping you from trusting us. And secondly, would you pray for us? We are very, very aware that we need God's grace, that he's not done with us yet, that we have room to grow. And so would you join us as we're already praying that God would refine us and lead us and direct us and empower us to be men worthy of this office that's beyond any human capacity. So if your objection is I don't trust you, I get that. We're doing our best to be trustworthy. We'd ask you to talk to us and to pray for us in the meantime. Now I have one more thing I wanna say before we wrap up and, and I wanna talk to a specific group of people here this morning. It's not an earmuffs moment, everybody can listen. I wanna to talk to the people who have been here for so long and who have been attending and serving and connecting and giving that you already feel like a member, not just to yourself, but in many ways to us as elders, despite not being an official member. I wanna address you for a moment this morning. First thing I wanna say is thank you. Thank you for all you've done. You, many of you are pillars in our church ministries, and we are so grateful for what God has done in and through you. Second, we hope that our push for membership doesn't cause you offense. Because in many ways, it's not really directed at you. Let me explain. When we were a church of one or 200, we had the time and energy to, to get to know people more intimately and to vet them personally. And many of you came to us during that time and built relationship with us. And we entrusted you with all sorts of ministry and you have been faithful in that. But now that we're a church of 400 and growing, we're convinced that we need a more strategic way to vet those we let have authority in our ministries because we don't have the time and energy anymore to get to know everyone personally the way we enjoyed and appreciated when we were a smaller church. That's a big part of the reason why we're pursuing church membership, to help us take care of all of these people, to vet so many people more than we had a year ago and certainly than a couple of years ago. And because of that, we feel that, hey, if we're gonna make this part of the vetting process going forward, that someone has to be a member to have authority over others, to be the primary spiritual influence in a room. We think that justice and consistency demand that we ask that of everybody who's involved in the ministry, so that going forward as a church, we all kind of have the same standard that we're being held to. And again, many of you who feel like members are already past that standard. We just haven't made it official. And so what we want to say to you this morning is this. Thank you for everything you've done. And please, consider our request that you become members, not as us saying you're falling short in some way, but as us inviting you and asking you to make official and public what has been so far a unofficial, but still very significant and meaningful commitment to our church. We're not telling you you're falling short and you're messing up, we're just saying you already really are this, but we'd like to make it public and official as we move forward as a church of 400 plus. Now, for everyone, let's finish where we started with a final appeal based on Hebrews 13, 17. We read there, there that God's word tells us to obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We love and feel privileged to get to watch over your souls. 
And we are convinced that church membership will help us do that better. And so if you consider us your spiritual leaders, and if what we've said today sounds God-honoring and reasonable, and if you don't have a conscience issue with joining the church, we would ask you to follow the instructions of Hebrews 13 to obey your leaders and submit to them by obeying our request to become a member so that we can do this task of eldering with joy and not with groaning. That would be our request. We want to say thank you for hearing us out on this topic. We love you. We're looking forward to continuing this conversation even after we sing with some quick answers to your questions and concerns. But right now, we should take a moment and we should pray. So let's do that together. Heavenly Father, this is your church. It doesn't belong to the elders. It doesn't belong to the deacons, the ministry leaders. It doesn't belong to anyone other than you. And so we've shared, Lord, before our people this morning what we believe your word would have us do when it comes to church membership. And we just give that to you with open hands again. You've heard us pray that before. We're praying it now. Father, if we're wrong in this, we pray you just take it right out of the minds of everybody in this room. We pray that you would, would show us the error of our ways and bring us back to what faithfulness looks like. But Father, if this would be a help to your church, if this would bring glory to your name and be good for your people, then we ask just the opposite. We ask that you wouldn't let this conviction leave us, that you would help us to see what you see in it, and to join together as one in this way. Father, we know there are all sorts of different situations in the room. Some may be just visiting us for the first time. Some here for years. I pray that your spirit, who knows each heart, would speak individually to each heart, showing each person what it is that you would have them do or not do in response to what we've heard this morning. And Father, above all else, above whether people become members or not, we pray that you would continue to glorify yourself in this church that you would build your people up in Christ, that you would empower us with your spirit to be your ambassadors. Whatever the outcome of this morning, may that be more true of us than it was when we came. We love you, Lord. We want to serve you with our lives. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name.